Welcome, Airwaves, to the TPM podcast, Theology of Plain Men. We are thrilled to be with you today. Not live, pre-recorded from the St. Clair Studios, a.k.a. Zach's basement. Pretty dank basement. Pretty dank. Uh, Especially dank today, and we'll get to that in a second. (laughs) Uh, This is your boy Matt Olmquist um, on the mic today, and I'm joined with my very good friends Zach Doman and Andre Nelson. Hold on. Hold on. This is the renowned hick of the group. Just greeted the world as, this is your boy Matt Olmquist hot on the mic. (laughs) That didn't feel right. No, let's let's hit on that for a sec. So we we started this podcast years ago because we're super old now. Years ago in our college days, I think it was Back like four years in ago. My day as a hick, a hipster, and an Amish guy, and I was the hick. And that's really funny now because I bet if you ask any of my coworkers or people who've met me in like the last couple of years, they'd have no idea. Right, you're a city slicker now. You're one of us. I am, though my pants are significantly less tight than either of you guys. Um, can confirm. That's just fun. Yeah. So, <laughs> how you gentlemen doing today? Good. Good. It snowed a bunch and it's and it was like 60 48 hours ago. So And it's I'm, legal. I'm feeling the like It's legal for all three of us to be together. Well, yes. We're not on Zoom and there's three of us. Ah, it's big huge. news. It is big news. But I but I'm feeling the like bipolar spring weather situation where it's just like winter one day, summer the next. So, yeah. That's me. Yeah, I'm going to be snow blowing when you guys leave. Yeah. That's for sure. Ooh. So, Or you could just wait like 12 hours for it to all melt off. Yeah, melt into my garage. Yeah, that'll. Oh, is that well. how it works? Yeah, my garage oh. or my driveway slants down <laughs> into my garage. <laughs> so. That was that was really nice of them when they built it to, Yo, to really. plan that out properly. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's Minnesota. They had no idea it was going to snow here. No. I, <laughs> it was only built in like 2017. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> My house is like a hundred years old. My garage is like three years old. <laughs> so. Uh, well, that's that's bad. But you're a homeowner, so you know what you're getting into. Um, speaking of Zach, though, and speaking of dank basements, <laughs> there's no I good transition. I still don't this. know what that means. Well, Zach, okay, uh, we're about we, to. We won't get into too much detail, but. Zach Doman is having digestion issues over next to us. Um, <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. he He's stanking the basement up right now. And, uh, Zach, you're you're on a very um, veggie-heavy diet right now. Is that fair to say? That is fair. That is fair to say. Uh, your boy is about halfway through a cleanse, you could call it. Uh, it's Whole30-ish. Basically, you cut out everything that you enjoy about about life from a food and drink standpoint you just get rid of it all together here's what's wild i'm sold tell me no more (laughs) here's what's wild i'm gonna share this with you guys i feel i feel really good right now right like i said we're over two weeks in um the first week I, i drink amounts of coffee that is nearly unhuman um to to put it bluntly um so like that first week the cool that first week the the coffee headaches hit you they hit you like first couple of days but then you get over that you're like ah that ain't that bad if that's all the worst this this whole thing gets i'll be fine but then hold your horses circle the wagons (laughs) week number two (laughs) the 
the with the withdrawals, like real withdrawals from all of the rest of the foods that you've given up hit you, right? Because it's like no carbs, no processed carbs, no sugar, no soy, no corn, no dairy. All of that stuff your body is like so addicted to because if you're like Matt or myself, you eat pasta three and a half times a day. Maybe, Andre, I don't know what your diet is. I don't know your life. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know you. Why are you in my basement? (laughs) Uh, Anyways, so that second week, you your body hurts every day. Like, (laughs) (laughs) there's no other way to say. Like, you wake up and you just hurt. Like that's it. Wow. It like it's incredible. But then like you feel great after after a little while. Uh, And uh, if you if you want a fun fact, uh, there is a. A coconut alternative to soy sauce because you can't have soy. Called what? Called coconut aminos for all Which you <laughs> for all you hipsters out there. You already know what that is. You shop at Whole Foods. Um, <laughs> uh, but fun fact about your boy made me rip pretty uh, pretty good all evening. Been ripping some fast ones here. So my my basement literally smells a little bit dank. So on that note, Whole Foods, <laughs> if you'd like to sponsor this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we are still accepting Shop at sponsors. Whole Foods. Your basement will smell dank. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think we just lost them. <laughs> I, I think we just lost all our listeners. <laughs> yeah. If you're still with us, uh, God bless you. <laughs> and good night. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Um, no, we are, uh, we're here to continue our misconception series. Uh, so if you've been following this podcast for a few weeks now, you've, you've known that we've been in a series to cover misconceptions of the Christian faith, um, covering a broad range of items, uh, generally focus on things that people think about uh, the church here in America and, um, or maybe in the West in general. And so today we are talking about whether Christianity is a white person thing. And uh, we'll, we'll define that a little bit more here and make some important clarifications. But um, I, I think so. We're, we're in Minnesota. We're in the Midwest. And um, so we're, we're a long way away from any really different cultures. And uh, I think it's easy for us a lot of the time to see the church as people who in many ways are a lot like us. And um, it's it's pretty clear that in a lot of churches there's a, a big lack of diversity. So it's easy to get caught up in the fact thinking Christianity as a religion, this is what it looks like. Um, and I think a lot of people who are outside of the church looking in see the same thing. So I want to tackle that with you guys today and get your thoughts on, you know, is Christianity really a, a white person religion? Is it an American religion? Is it a Western religion? Um, and, and what does that actually look like around the world? Yeah. And I think, and I would just want to lend some credence to the misconception itself, maybe show a little grace to to the misconception to say that, okay, well, yeah, all the people that we're surrounded with, the, you know, the majority culture is white. And so the churches that you see and the majority of the people that you see, like, are conforming to that that demographic. And so... But yeah, that's the whole point of this is to try to open our eyes a little bit to the church, the global church, as it would be called, and and um, just more of the scope, the cultural scope of Christianity, um, and hopefully talk a little bit about the the relevance of the gospel to a wider, the widest possible scope of ethnicities and and peoples across the world. 
And when I when I kind of think of where did this misconception maybe get its legs, um, we at least at least privately at TPM when we've met up, we've talked a lot about the kind of the political world that we're in and how entangled the Christian kind of gets in that. And and I'm now speaking about the the kind of the American culture here and Christianity and the American culture. I think we're we're gonna go away from that here in a second, but. I, I do think this misconception largely comes from the very vocal political Christian that you see and that the media plays for you. And and I know that straw man that I've put up there, uh, I've done that on nearly every misconception that I've been a part of. But I think that's where a lot of these misconceptions are born out of. Um, and I think you have, um, a, a, like, like Andre said, that American Christian in a lot of ways is, is a majority group across America, um, that white American Christian. So I think that that group becomes a politically sought after group. And that's where I think you kind of get like, cause that's where everything gets so heightened in our culture is, is around politics. So I think that portrayal of this is what Christianity is gets played up a lot. And that kind of, uh, stereotype of the Christian gets played up a lot. Um, and then I think something happens after that, though. I think the Christians who belong to that group, who become politically sought after, who, who say, oh, I now belong to this group, they kind of just, it gets comfy. You like to stay in that group. You, you like to maybe not, let's not make this group get any different than it is now. We got a good thing going here. This is comfy. I like this. So I think while the misconception, I think we're going to, we're going to clip it really quick here that this misconception is roundly false for a ton of reasons. But like Andre said, to give grace to it, to understand some of why might this be happening, I think that Christians have an equal share, namely that these Americanized Christians, if that's what you want to call it, kind of have an equal share of blame here that we've gotten comfy and we tend to get comfy when we're surrounded by people who are exactly like us. Yeah, Zach, that's a really good analysis of uh, of the situation of the misconception in general. But I think you make an important clarification, too, when you talk about, um, you know, what, what we see in our culture versus um, what we see elsewhere uh, and the scope of what this what this conversation is really going to be. So um, I, I guess I'd want to make a, an important clarification that when we introduce this as is um, is Christianity a white person thing? Uh, we say that because that's um, that's a way that I think the misconception is often understood, but also because um, we're going to contrast cultures that are generally likely to be considered Western, right? So we're not saying that within America that um, you know there, we're not going to be addressing specifically the divide between um, you know uh, African Americans and and um, white white people and other races and ethnicities that's not going to be the focus of this we're going to be expanding this much more globally and talking about um around the world culturally ethnically what does this look like both in our time today what have we observed but also through history so um if you guys would allow me i think i think we could tackle this from maybe three different perspectives um and, and feel free to merge the lines on when you answer these but first i'd i'd be interested to hear since you both traveled You've both traveled a good bit around the world. Um, I'd be curious to see what what you've seen of the church anecdotally, 
Um, and then we can move into analyzing this with data, with, with statistics, and then um, round it out biblically. What is What does the Bible have to say, and how do we actually tackle this from a theological point of view? Yeah, totally. So I, I've spent some time in Europe. Um, that would be, I would be the, sub, the subject matter expert on Europe in the room, I think. And um, in fact, two trips that I've taken to France um, have been um, kind of evangelically motivated, I guess you would say. They were on uh, a sort of mission trip um, with the purpose of um, just having conversations with university students in Paris um, about faith and life um, for several weeks at a time. And a big part of the sort of selling of that trip uh, was overcoming the this exact misconception that that's at the heart of Europe. You know, uh, Protestantism was born in the heart of Europe, and there's a cathedral on every block, and that it's just why do you need to go there to tell people about Jesus? And when you kind of run the numbers, if you will, we, and this is what we would tell people, mostly back home, that we were telling about our trip and, and you know, kind of asking if they would you know, financially or prayerfully support that mission, we would say France, France counts as an unreached people group. <laughs> like if you look at the number of Bible-believing Christians per capita, it's like, it's, you know, on par with developing countries that you would typically think of missionaries going to. Um, I, read a, I read a fact, I have a few facts that I'll pull out later too, but uh, that are kind of along this line. And that is that in 2010, at least, so these are a little old, but I, I'll tell you it's probably not better. The regional distribution of Christians around the world puts about the same amount of people in Europe as the uh, same amount of Christians in Europe uh, as in sub-Saharan Africa, which I think is really just eye-opening to this reality. That's remarkable. Yeah. Or, or this is similar, but Nigeria has twice as many Protestants as Germany. Um, I would not, you know, you got Martin Luther nailing that up on the church door 500 years ago, uh, and the world has changed a lot since then. And so, yeah, and so then, okay, but then in reality, you're asking for anecdote here. So we get, you know, uh, boat lands on, uh, on Normandy Beach, and we step off. No, that's not how it happened. But <laughs> when we got to France and experienced the culture and experienced— so we would we would go to a few Protestant churches, which, like— are in like attics. I mean, it's almost like it's not really underground because it's not like a persecuted church by any means, but it's not in the great big cathedrals, obviously, because that was kind of a Catholic tradition, but it's just, it's a very, very different experience. And it's the, you know, it, you can, you feel that it is a, min, a minority group um, on the ground there, at least in Paris. And of course, that's going to be skewed, skewed in the opposite direction a little bit to a major metropolitan center, one of the biggest cities in the world. But um, yeah. So, uh, I, for a minute, I have not spent nearly the time that Andre spent in, in Paris, but I did a quick stint over in South Korea with a group. We went over there and led, um, uh, by or vacation Bible school for a church while we were over there. Um, and I had almost like a, a big misconception myself. I was thinking that you know, okay, I'd go to South Korea and it's going to be like this largely unreached place. Like that was my, my thought. 
and you get there and it's like oh oh there, this is there's churches everywhere like and they're like thriving churches everywhere um so i guess i had actually quite the quite the opposite experience when i got there to compared to what andre experienced where i was maybe thinking like oh this evangelical christianity is like this american thing and i show up and lo and behold there are evangelical christians everywhere um sure the the culture of what christianity looks like is a whole lot different but it really opened my eyes um so th- this is me telling you that i went from a believer of the misconception uh probably pretty openly to uh very much a oh like this is this is and you look into it and it's something that's true across the world it's not unique to south korea um but yeah that was a very much an eye-opening experience for me there I find that so fascinating, just you guys' different experiences. And and I think if you pulled someone in the Midwest of America, they, they would say those inverse of what the reality was. They would expect. I, I would have, four or five years ago, would have expected France to be far, far in advance of South Korea. Um, and I think there are probably a few layered misconceptions there um, in regards to the culture of those countries as well. Um, I'll, I'll throw in an anecdote as well, and I think it probably fits nicely in between both of yours. Um I, I lived in Thailand for um, the better part of 2019, uh, along with my wife, Lauren. We, we had moved there for my job. And uh, it, it, it certainly wasn't um, a booming evangelical area, um, but it, it wasn't, it was growing. It, it wasn't on the decline. But uh, man, I, the Christians there were so real with their faith. Um, it, it was not like, so if you met, if you met a Christian and if you met an evangelical in Thailand, they they weren't half hazard about their faith. They they weren't doing it because um, their family was Christian or because it was something they thought was just supposed to happen. They were going to they they had converted in the face of a lot of hardship, um, of repercussions from family. This is a highly Buddhist country, um, ingrained in every part of society and culture, and. Um, yeah, they uh, growth there was really slow. The church we were a part of, they fought tooth and nail for every single person that um, that ended up converting. And um, but but when they did, man, they stuck around and they gave and they cared and they worked and they were invested in that church like you would not believe. Um, so I think this is showing and painting a good picture of what the church looks like globally as we pick out a few different regions here, um, because that's really important as part of tackling this misconception is to see it's, yeah, it's not exactly like what the misconception thought, but it's also much broader, much wider, and um, more diverse than we considered as well. Um, okay, so now now that we hit anecdotes, uh, wh- what does it actually look like in the numbers? Andre, I think you pulled up a few statistics for us. You want to run us through some what this actually looks like in, in real facts? Yeah, I, I just have some, yeah, just a few cherry-picked facts that I think are, are really interesting. And these are coming from um, a, se- a seminary's global Christianity Research Center, and then Pew Research, um, which is obviously a massive organization that does demographic research um, and polling. Uh, so this is a really good one. There are twice as many Catholics in Brazil as there are in Italy, which, you know, Brazil is probably more populous than Italy is, but I think when you think of Catholicism, you go to St. Peter's Basilica, you go to Roman Catholicism, but but 
forty percent of all Catholics in the world are in Latin America, which I think is also um, pretty amazing. The Middle East has the lowest concentration and the lowest total number of Christians. Uh, the birthplace of Christianity. Obviously, it's the birthplace of other religions that have hooked on a little bit more actively to the site of Jerusalem and everything else. But but that's worth noting. And, and that's also, have we said that yet? That Christianity didn't start in America. So why would it have been an American thing? I, I would just like to... Yeah, that one's a little on the nose. We haven't quite gotten there yet. So we're we're getting there, obviously. But just to give you a little preview to the to the haymaker argument of this podcast. Um, uh, Let's see, what else do I have? Uh, So, okay, so then now let's get into the evangelical thing. So, because Jack... Jack? Hi, I'm Jack. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Jack! Thanks for being here. (laughs) My first time on the podcast. I'm just thrilled when... It was not me saying Zach's name wrong. I'm notorious. Uh, That's that's a side conversation, but... Yeah, I'm going to spare the stories for now. Andre, continue. (laughs) Um, Zach was talking about evangelicalism in the United States. Also, can we say uh, I pronounced evangelicalism correctly twice in a row now? And I'm just going to give myself a little pat on the back for that because there's like eight syllables in that word. I would have probably smashed a few of them together. Like evangelicalism. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. But anyway, continue. Now I'm going to mess that up. Jack was talking about that denomination in the U.S. And, uh, and 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 this is very much on the topic of the podcast. I learned that, at least in 2015, uh, 84.1% of all evangelicals in the world are of color. 84%. So if you think that this, this is a white person thing, which is what we said this podcast is about with some asterisks, uh, it, you know, it's not. And, and and this report also just points out very bluntly that you, that the United States is an outlier uh, with it with evangelicalism being a majority white movement. So um, that's pretty much what I have. Uh, I, more broadly, in 2015, 68% of Christians in general were of color. So that probably I don't I don't know why that changes. Maybe Catholicism. I sh- I'm sure, like Roman Catholicism. Um, excuse that one a little bit, but those are some numbers for you. I think I think they help to put it in a very black and white sense to answer the question. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> that's not the way that it is. I mean, we have there. Are, you know, people do censuses and ask these questions, and we have the data that that says it. But um, yeah, um, I'm going to de- derail us for one quick second. Um, because I, I feel like I, I don't want to just go so far down the argument for the sake of proving the misconception wrong right. to lose the the point of, of why this matters. So can we take a quick tangent real quick, then, we'll, then I'll bring us back onto the trail. Um, all right, so 80-some-odd percent of uh, Christians are, are not white then. Um, sure, it, it really clearly hits home the fact, right, this misconception is proven false. Why does that matter? What What's the point? That is a great question, Matthew. I don't know if I'm going to answer it, but I am going to give the listener the the why should you care, which I think is kind of what you're getting at, right? Because if you're the Christian out there, congratulations, you just got a pat on the back, I guess. If that's where we leave the podcast, it's cool. I guess you're you're not completely involved in just a purely white thing. Like, 
there you go. Like we just gave that to you. Um, but how does that change your life at all? Um, so, cause like I hinted at before, I think that uh, again, us, even in this room, if you asked us, we would say we're even guilty of this. So if we find ourselves wanting to just fit neatly in this comfortable world, especially in our churches where we're not confronted by different cultures than us, we have a tendency to want to, to surround ourselves with people who are just like us. Um, so I wanted to uh, pitch out this. Uh, this is from Ephesians 2. I'm not gonna not gonna read it word for word, but Ephesians two, you know, eleven through eighteen ish. Um, Paul is talking about how the Gentiles have now been welcomed in; they've been grafted in to the faith, um, and that is wild if you're a Jew to hear that, because largely, for the, for the majority of Israel, for uh, God's people all the way past, it was this is God's people. In a very, uh, in a very physical way, in a, like real way, like these are his physical people. This is where they physically are. They go together. They're in this physical area. This is them. Um, in his very ethnic way, it's these people belong to God. And now, in, in the work of Jesus, what happens is that these people who have largely been seen as outside of, who have been seen as unclean or unworthy, whatever word you want to put there, what Jesus does is those people now in faith get grafted in. Um, Paul, uh, um, right, verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, so <laughs> history lesson for you. If you think that racism today is this like, new crazy thing that's got we got going on you need to go and look at the the racial battle between jew and gentile that existed um because you're gonna learn a lot about racism and what what paul was saying and how wild what he was saying really really was um because i think you read this and you're like oh duh it makes tons of sense jesus died for everybody obviously but if you do a little bit of a history lesson, it, it paints that picture in a much deeper and stronger way. So to the Christian, why do you care that this is a reality? It's because you need to understand that you're part of this uh, just vast network of people who aren't like you. And there's something that's beautiful about that. Clearly, God intended about that truth, right? Um it's the way the cross works now that those who were not part of this physical birthright kind of sect of humans, those were God's people, not any longer. That is now burst open to, to all people. And I think that's really important. And it says a lot about this discussion. Yeah, the, uh, the the phrase or the term that's used in Ephesians is uh, tearing down the dividing wall of hostility. And, um, and that's doing exactly what Zach's describing. It's opening up faith in uh, Yahweh, um, the one true God, outside of just Israel, the Israeli people, the, the um, Israel nation, and onto the whole world. And this is an incredible thing. And so Paul spends really the, almost all the, the whole book of Ephesians trying to argue that fact and say, 
no, stop going back to pretending like it was just for the Jewish people. It's it's not. Let's not be hypocritical about that. Um, but then in another book in the New Testament, in Hebrews, the author is arguing to uh, Jewish people, to uh, at least ethnically Jewish people, most of which who've since uh, converted to Christianity. It's this long thesis, effectively, saying this is why doctrinally, theologically, Jesus was the Messiah. This is it. All of your hopes, all of the Old Testament that you put your your faith in and that you've memorized, this was made true in Jesus. And so in chapter 10 of Hebrews, um, there's, a, there's a passage here that I, I think would be relevant. Um, starting in verse 32, it says, But recall the former days when, after you were, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, uh, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And the reason I bring this up is that the places in the world that Christianity is growing the fastest right now are places where it's not convenient to be a Christian. Um, I've got a chart pulled up right now that the number one country experiencing evangelical growth is Iran, followed closely by Afghanistan. So, and I think, I don't I don't have data to support this exact claim, but I, I think uh, historically... Oh, always like that. Oh, here's a bunch of data for you. Now I'm going to make a claim that has none. <laughs> All right, Zach, called out. Um, but the church thrives in, uh, the, the Christian church thrives in... Um, situations of um persecution and and the reason is those people who've converted have done so under immense risk and difficulty and they have done so joyfully like the passage in hebrew says and those people are going to be more committed to their faith and are going to be so passionately evangelical to other people to bring them in because it matters it frankly matters to them it has to matter to them, they don't have the convenience of going on Sunday and then forgetting about it. No, this has to be their whole life because they've given everything up for it. Um, and I think that's that's something else to consider for in terms of why does it matter? Um, it matters because <laughs> these are our brothers and sisters around the world who are going through things. But I think they serve as a model to us in America about how Christianity is really done better than how we do it here. Um, because, frankly, because they have to. Um, but, but it shows a type of faith that I, I think we don't understand in some ways. Yeah. And so for those of our listeners who have done any travel or experienced other cultures, which we did an episode about global travel, Michael and I, and, and talked about some of the, the benefits of that. But if, but if you've done that, you've experienced how you've had your eyes open to the way that other people live, the sort of assumptions that other people make about life, um, what their values are, what things they take joy in, and, and and how it's just utterly different from the life that you know so well. If you've experienced that, I would encourage you to consider the fact that that exact same realization and that exact same contrast might be applied to those people's faith and your faith. And seeing that they see and understand and worship God in a way that is dramatically different than you do because they have this totally different context. They live in this totally different geography. 
you know, in a totally different culture that has developed over centuries. And so the value of of experience that experiencing that is is really high. And if you're not experiencing that, if you don't have the the privilege to do that, to be aware of it, I think that just takes God out of the box. You know, I think that's like a a, a framework that we use a lot is, is saying that we put God in a box. One way to bring God out of the box is to consider that all of his people aren't exactly like you. That would be a great way to bring God out of the box um, in a way that really makes him bigger for you and opens up in to you, to your eyes, all the things that he could be and and I'll tell you is not that I know what what every how every culture sees the Lord and and what all that means but let me tell you if my experience is um, interacting with other cultures is any indication it's it's an enormous difference that we could spend our whole lives um, appreciating more and more take God out of the box that's a, that's <laughs> there a great application Write that on your sticky note. Put on your mirror, right, Andre? Yes. You know what? Just write it on your mirror. That one Sharpie. doesn't need to come off. Yeah. Straight on. Um, but I, I think what else it does is it takes American, um, the American part of our Christianity out of our faith because that can get skewed very often. Zach brought that up right at the beginning. We tend to do it in our politics. We tend to do it in our faith. And uh, we can often merge things and add things. Um, just like we see time and time again, um, you know, let's take the Pharisees. They added things to their faith, and we look back at them and say, oh, you dummies, how could you possibly not have realized that? We do it too, guys. So um, diversify the, the way you see um, Christianity and, and the people of Christianity because it'll, it'll help you understand God better. Um, but I, I'm also going to add, if you do travel, um, one, go back and listen to the podcast, uh, Zach or not Zach, Andre and Michael did a great job with that. And Jack. And Jack. Um, but but also, if you do get the chance to meet Christians overseas, you're going to be amazed at how similar you are in a lot of ways too because you are a part of one faith, one body. They are your brother or sister spiritually, and that is going to unite you more than any ethnicity is going to, and that's going to be a beautiful thing for you to experience. Um, so I'll, I'll wrap it up with this just to tie a bow on it. Um, Revelation 7 after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, uh, from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Uh, it's going to be all of us, guys. It's not just America. It's not just a white person religion. Uh, diversify the people you are around and understand Christianity as a bigger, bigger religion. Um, let's not put it in a box and let's not put God in a box. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us here on the TPM podcast. Uh, I had fun with you guys. This, yeah. was, a, this was a good time. Uh, we truly hope that our extensive verbal processing has been edifying to you. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>